Mr. Polish. What made me want to start this whole platform as a whole, let me just be clear. Um, I wanted to transition. I wanted to try something different. I wanted to try something that was going to challenge me, something that was going to give me a platform where I could talk about my transitions in life, but I could also interview other people and talk about their transitions in life. And what really made me want to start this platform was I was talking to Nori and I was telling him I wanted him to be one of the first people I interview. And Nori told me, well, I'll do it when I know that you're serious after I see that you told your own story about transitioning. Came and check the drink champs. This is all Nori's fault. Let's do it. Let's do it. And with that, I was like, oh, I could, I could see myself sitting down doing this with a lot of different people from a lot of different fields. This don't have to be a, a just a rap thing. I kind of wanted to get out of the getting your, your your front end and getting your back end at 2.30 in the morning standing on the couch. So this was my way of just transitioning into another field, whole another platform and just trying something different. Growing up in Harlem was probably the thing that made me, you see I'm sitting up here with the Harlem heat on. Um, growing up in Harlem is what made me. I can honestly say I was a kid, I was born on 157 between Amsterdam and Broadway, so some might call that the hill. Uh, I moved down to 144th between 7th and Lenox. That's where I started becoming a rapper. I was always in the art, but that's where I started becoming a real rapper and writing rhymes and had, I had to talk boy from Home Alone. And I used to put it next to the speaker and rap over to getting jiggy with it instrumental or Capone Noriega, T-O-N-Y uh, instrumental. And from there, I moved to the east side and that was different, you know, Spanish Harlem, but it was different, but I always was in Harlem. And uh, yeah, that's what made me, man. That's kind of all I know. You know, I grew up in a single parent home. It was just me, my moms and my brother. Grew up in Harlem, wasn't no male figure around, but I had a lot of uncles, I had a lot of cousins. But my moms went with me to my baseball games and baseball practices. My moms went with my brother to the gauchos and AAU tournaments and stuff like that. So yeah, she raised us. Proud to say I grew up in a single parent home with just me and my moms and my brother, because that's what made me. That's what made me strong, watching her grind, watching her go hard. Dolo, that, that's what showed me that don't make no excuses. You got to get up and go hard for it. I'm growing up, once I became J Mills, I've lived other places. I've lived in Miami. I've lived in New Jersey. I've lived in New York. I've lived in Los Angeles. I've lived outside of Los Angeles in the suburbs now. And Growing up in Harlem made me appreciate where I'm at now. It made me appreciate the journey of getting to where I'm at now. And it made me who I am. Like my whole swag is Harlem. Like I'm sitting up here matching down to a T just to tell you my story. So that's Harlem. I've been in the music industry for about over 20 years. So definitely respect me with that. Um, I've definitely been in the industry for about 23 years. I'm just saying that because I remember when I got my first deal, I was like ending high school and um, my mom's had to amend my contract. So that was a that was a new thing for me. But I always remember, yeah, man, high school, it became real for me. I was in the high school, for, uh, high school of art and design for cartooning, fashion and architecture. I took up all of those. And through being in high school is when I started battling. That's when I met Tone and Naj. And I battled Loaded Lux probably when I was in the 10th grade, 
And from there, I just kept battling, kept battling, kept battling. And yeah, it turned into what it is now. I knew it was time to make a transition when my money from music started changing. When I started to get my pub checks, you know, you get your royalties and you get things like that. Because to be clear, if I've been in the entertainment industry for over 20 years, that mean I was here when the money was different. You know, that mean I was here when there was ringtones. That means I was here when there was HMV and there was coconuts and Tower Records. And there was places for you to really do in-stores and sell CDs and stuff like that. So the streaming era, it kind of switched up. And I was just noticing like, man, I've been doing this since I was a kid. You only get one life to live. You ain't gonna be here forever. So in my mind, I'm like, damn, let's start trying something different. Let's start trying uh, when the pandemic hit, me and my boy Lennox, we started a podcast, the Loud Opinions podcast. That was a part of me just trying something. That was a part of me just uh, trying something different from just being on the microphone, just being a rapper, just being Jay Mills. There's so many elements to Jay Mills, but nobody would know him. So I started producing, uh, started directing, just started trying to do a lot of different things from the aspect of you've been rapping for so long, so it's time to try some different shit. What made me want to get into the whole media field and producing original content um, during the quarantine, we had went and bought some equipment from Sam Ash and shit like that. And we just started trying some shit. I remember we had a curfew at that time and I had to be home by eight o'clock. So I would go there, film it, record it at a certain time and come back home before LAPD shut the streets down. And I think through us doing that, that gave me the, I don't know, it gave me like a, the, the feeling of you can have a voice outside of being a rapper. Now you can just talk about shit. There was a lot of things going on. Black Lives Matter. It was a lot of different things going on in the NBA. It was a lot of different things just going on in the world. Like we was dealing with something we never dealt with, with COVID and coronavirus and quarantine and being on lockdown. But I also started working on a TV show and I was hosting this TV show and we was waiting for the show to get sold and everything. And the show didn't get sold when we wanted it to get sold, but we had been working on it for over a year. And through working on it for over a year, I started doing content reviews. I started having to learn how to give people space to talk when you're talking, give them space to say what they, how to work with a co-host and how to work with a team of people. And through that, that made me want to really, really get into it because it's like, you know this shit, you just got to do it. And that's a part of the whole transitions thing when Nori said, yeah, I'll let you interview me, but I need to see you interview, tell your story, so I know that you're serious about it. I got my first record deal at 17. I was in a group called Problems. Uh, it was me, Reese, and Harry O. And those were my son's people. My son had just went to jail and Tone was trying to like just keep some shit going until Mice get out, we didn't know what the situation was gonna be. And my son had a crew called the Problem Children. This was probably about, probably at least 10, 10 people from the Bronx, including Reese. Reese is a female and she was stupid nice. And she was the only female out of the crew and it was a bunch of them. And when he went to jail, everybody might've went their separate ways and did other things. So Tone kept Reese, Harry O, smooth talking. Ario and he kept me. And he made us like a group called The Problems and we went and got a deal at, uh, 
I believe it was Motown. And yeah, that was my first time. Like I said, my mom's had to amend my contract because I was too, my mom's in the judge because I was too young to sign it being 17 years old. And I was just about to graduate high school. And I remember that's when I'll be hearing everybody say, I saw Fabio saying Mace game 5,000 and this and that. It's like, shit, I got 5,000 for my first deal too. <laughs> but that was the industry back then, man. I went from battling on the streets to getting almost a seven figure deal at 19 because once the problems thing didn't work, uh, not saying it didn't work, we had a single deal. So we put a single out, got to get the people what they want. It did work, so I take that back. Once we put that out, uh, Tone started trying to do the Wanna Blow Records thing and Harry O gotta try and Reese gotta try and Jay Mills gotta try. You know, um, yeah, I remember I did No, No, No. We used to work in this studio downtown and Red Spider used to be in the back. Uh, he's a producer. He was doing a lot of like Jude and stuff at that time. And I remember I met Scram Jones down there. And Scram gave me a beat CD with about 30 beats on the CD. This is when producers used to do shit like that. They wasn't sending you nothing. They'll give you a beat CD with 30 joints on there. And he gave me a beat CD and I remember No, No, No was number four. Never forget this. And I remember I wrote to the song and I was so hyped about it. I told Tone, I told Naj, I told everybody, yo, this is great. Uh, and I remember when I did it, first thing Tone did was got in contact with Scram and they handled business and whatever, whatever. I was, they had to figure it out. But that was the first time I had did a song and they was like, oh, this is the one. And I remember enough played it. I had a job just to paint y'all a picture of, I had a job at this time. I was working on 33rd and Park Avenue in a medical uh, liability office storing files and shit like that for medical cases. And I remember, I wrote the record on my lunch break. Uh, I remember I went and got some Chinese food. It was probably like chicken and broccoli with garlic sauce or something like that, lunch special. And I went back to the lunchroom at, at my job and I wrote no, no, no on a brown paper bag. And I remember I recorded it at the studio because I was going to the studio, going to work and doing all of that. And enough, DJ enough, played the record on Hot 97 in New York City for at least a week straight, Monday through Friday. And I remember every day I was getting off work, you know, you're getting off work and it's like 4.50, 4.57. So you, I'm, I'm, I had a little Lacoste shirt tucked in my slacks and I used to wear the Vasquez boots with the, the, the cuff over the boot, like still matching. This is the Harlem with me. I'm matching my Gore-Tex with my, my work shirt tucked in, shit like that, stupid shit. So I get off and every day it was new J Mills, ah, 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 ah. And I'm like, oh, so now people at the job is seeing the record be played on the radio that I just told them I wrote in the lunchroom the other day when I was working. Cause I really worked mail one day, one day I found stuff one day. So by the end of the week, I remember he was like, shout out to Jay Mills. I said, you're about to get that deal. Congratulations. Now I'm at work. Tony Naj ain't tell me shit about a deal about to happen, right? So by Monday, I promise you by Monday, we was in the office with champagne and I was feeling, you know, got the contract, you got to look over everything. And I went back to work because I remember the last deal I got, I got 5,000 and I went down to Madison Square Garden, but they used to sell the jerseys and shit. It was like a place in Madison Square Garden. I can't remember the name. They used to sell authentic football jerseys and shit like that. And I went down there and bought some jerseys, bought some jewelry, got me and my brother some sneakers. And I was kind of fucked up after that, but I had a deal. I didn't care about the money. I was more concerned with, I was on a roster for a real record label. And 
Now that I got no, 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 this is like, oh, this is Jay Mills. This ain't Jay Mills battling on Linux Avenue. This isn't Jay Mills that works on 33rd and Park Avenue no more. I got over $100,000 in advance. I got more money than everybody that's working in this shit. But it wasn't real to me until I got the check. So I got up and I kept going to work. And I remember one day Tone came to see me. He was like, all right, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, I hate you when I get out of work tomorrow. So pulled up to my mom's crib and he was like, yo, Jay, let me ask you a question. You still going to that job? And I said, yeah. And he was like, you got to stop going to that job, man. Like, it's over for that job. But at this time, I'm probably getting like a stack every two weeks and I got medical benefits. My mom's ain't working. So I'm like, I'm not about to quit this job, you know? And he was like, trust me, you're going to be all right. But my last deal, I got 5000 This deal, I might have got over 100000 after I paid the lawyer and after everybody got, like, this is, this is me. That's a big fucking jump from your first deal in that group to being 19 years old. We went to Miami and in front of Wet Willies, they wouldn't let me in. I'm like, I got $100,000, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, they wouldn't let me in. They don't give a fuck about no, 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 and your money and all that, you still 19. And that's when it hit me, like, cause I always wanted to go to college, man. I was one of them kids that watched a different world but I was going to hell, man. I thought that shit was real. And I never went to college and I always tell people, the music industry was my college, like, that was my freshman years and going away and traveling and shit. While everybody was playing ball and going away traveling and doing shit like that, I went away and traveled rapping. The shit I used to do on the block when I was 13, 14, 15, battling. Now you're seeing me on TV. You're hearing me on the radio. So I kind of spoke that shit into existence. Well, I got with Young Money because... One, I got with Young Money because Wayne is a real nigga. And I say that because I had did records with Lil Wayne before I got with Young Money, but he never charged me no money. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of artists that I did music with and you know, the team had to give some bags. It was some bags that was passed around, mostly to the New York rappers. I'm gonna keep it real. Uh, Wayne never charged me for nothing. And, I remember I had a song called Bring It Back, and it was on one of Funkmaster Flex albums, and the original record had Jada Kiss on it. So the record was being played in the clubs, and it was being played on Hot 97 in New York so much. I'm one of them people that I grew up in the remix era. So I'm like, damn, I gotta keep the record going. I'm getting, this is when spins was a big thing. Like the record, the label won't really jump behind you if you didn't reach a, hundred, uh, a, a couple hundred spins in this time. So. I'm like, well, damn, let's keep the record going. Let's do a remix. And I hit up Wayne and I'll hit up Fab. And Wayne was like, come to the studio. And I remember when I got to the studio, Wayne was already rapping over the beat. And I'm like, yo, how the f this is the beat that I was coming to get you to do the remix to. And he was doing a freestyle for Green Lantern. It was him and Joel. They was doing like the can't feel my face shit, I think. And I'm like, yo, this is, this is my song. I'm actually coming to get you to rap on this for my remix right now. And you in here doing a freestyle tour with Green Lantern, which lets me know that Green Lantern knew about the record, but he wasn't really playing the record, but he must have fucked with the beat, but he didn't really fuck with the record. And I'm, in there, I'm, look, I'm looking like, I ain't never heard you play this record on the radio or nowhere else, but you was in here about to get Jewels and Wayne and just totally kill my beat right now. And they killed it too. Uh, but even more so, he still said, all right, I'm gonna do this tonight. 
And it, it fucked me up. It was like, yo, he just said, come to this, like on some cool shit. Like you gotta remember, this is when Lil Wayne is doing 300 features in a year. He on everything. He was on like fire. And I remember when I was getting out of my deal with Universal, we skipped across a, a few shit from Motown. I had to deal with Universal and then I was with SRC with Steve Rifkin. And by the time all of that was done, I was like, damn, I'm kind of just in the hood. I ain't got no situation. I had nothing going on. I'll keep it real true. I had nothing going on. And I hit Wayne. I had a record called Holla at a Player. And I was getting some steam on it in New York. But I ain't got no deal. But I'm getting some steam on this record. And once again, I'm like, well, damn, how can I keep this record going? And I hit Wayne. And he like, send me the record. I said, bet. Sent him the record. And Wayne did the record. He didn't ask me for no money or nothing like that again. But I know I don't got no deal. So I'm telling him like, I don't got no deal and shit like that. And really he has said a verse on the song that he said already. And I called him back, I was like, yo, I kind of heard that verse. So it's cool, but I appreciate you for doing it. He said, oh, no, nah, that's my fault. I'm gonna do another one, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I forgot what he said, but he sent me another verse. He said, Mills had to tell me stop recycling verses. And since I don't write it, I recited it cursing. So I'm like, damn, he went back in there and did that verse for me that night. Like that was, so the Harlem nigga in me, I always say, man, you give me an inch, I'm gonna take a football field. So I'm like, yo, what's good? When the next time you come to New York, man, I ain't got no situation, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh shit, you told me you ain't got no situation. You might not clear that, that remix for you. So he's like, you ain't got no situation? I said, nah. So I call you right back. So I'm like, oh, that, that feature's a dub. It's over for that. He called me back with Tez on the phone. He's like, when can you get on a flight to Miami? And just to make a long story short, I never played him no demo. I never played him no records. When I got there, we had a call. I remember Justin Timberlake and Timberlake was in one of the rooms. In fact, me and Tez were in the room, we had a conversation. He let me know why he fucked with me from battles and freestyles and this and that. I know you nice once I heard you, ain't had no deal no more. That's why I got you in the fight. I'm building this young money shit. If you want to be a part of it, this shit is going to be a ball of fire. I fuck with you. It's whatever you want to do. And I was like, bet. Gave me that. And from there on, that was that. That was, that was how it came about, and it might have happened faster than the story that I just told you. But that's really how it happened. I started producing when I was still with Young Money. I used to be in the hit factory so much. Sometimes you in there and it's like, what we doing right now, this whole transitions thing. I think that was the beginning of me trying to try something different than just being a rapper. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kanye West. I'm a big fan of Dr. Dre. I'm a big fan of Swiss Beats. But I'm also a fan of Big Crit. I'm a big fan of J. Cole. Like, I'm a big fan of people that's like multi. You know, multi talented. It's like, yeah, he, yeah, you may be nice at rap, but what else? You gotta understand, man. When I say I've been in the entertainment business for over 20 years, that means I done seen a lot of different errors. So if you want to keep impressing somebody, you got to do some new shit. So when I heard Through the Wire, and it's like, oh, Kanye kind of helped. He came with the idea for this video. He wrote the song. He did the beat. He probably recorded it, mixed this up. I wanted to be that. And like you said, man, the people I listen to, uh, they might be producers first, rappers second. But like I said, Kanye, Swiss Beats, Dr. Dre, somebody like Pete Rock, and then like J. Cole and Big Crit of the new era, I'm like, well, damn, maybe I could try something like that. So my man, uh, Omen, I remember I was in New York one time and he had an MPK and it was key, it was keys, but it was still pads too. And I never really understood the MPC too much. So I, I just left it alone. 
but he was showing me how to fuck with it. He was like, nah, it's digital. Look, you just, uh, you got logic on your computer. You put logic in and you play this song, you play the, the keys. Once he showed me that logic shit that first night, I probably made beats for the next six, seven months in the Air Factory. I remember Buster coming in there like, yo, what you working on? And I had the MPK set up with the cord going to the laptop. I was going through sounds in the, like I'm buying sound uh, packs and stuff like that from Illmind, uh, Cardiac. Like I'm, I'm, I was really into it. And yeah, I just think I just wanted to try some new shit. That's the Deion Sanders in me. That's the, the Bo Jackson in me as a kid. Watching Deion Sanders play football and baseball, it made me feel like, oh shit, well, you can do two things. You don't got to do one. Bo Jackson played both. Fucking Charlie Ward won the Heisman Trophy and didn't get drafted, but went and played for the Knicks. So I was one of the people that always wanted to do more than one thing. And I think that's how the producing came apart. I left Young Money because it was time. It wasn't nothing personal. Uh, I didn't have no beef with Wayne, no beef with Tez, no beef with Birdman, no beef with Slim, no beef with Mac, no beef with none of the artists, Drake, Nicki, Gutter, Guns, like nobody. Like it was all love. It's still all love too. Uh, just came back from the reunion. The reunion was dope. Just seeing everybody. That was like a, it just lets you know like, damn, time went Time go by so fast, but we all did so much shit since we first met. So that was good to see at the reunion. But me leaving Young Money was just, it was time. I think it was, everybody was in a funny space. Uh, the music business was changing. Streaming was becoming a big thing. And I just don't think I had like the infrastructure to be the best Jay Mills. Uh, Wayne was going through his shit with Birdman. Um, Drake is Drake, Nikki's Nikki. Um, Tiger had left already, but I don't know, just to be real with you, man, I'm just one of the people that feel like I'm a ride to the wheels for him. So even though Wayne started going through his shit, I still felt like I owed him loyalty. I felt like from when he was fucking with me, nobody was fucking with me. Nobody was trying to give me a deal. Nobody was really fucking with me like that. I will say that. And when Wayne started fucking with me, everything changed again. And I never forgot that. So some people may say I stayed too long. Some people may say, yo, Mills, you should have been left young money. Like you stayed around too long. You kind of let them dry you out. They didn't dry me out. You know what I'm saying? If anything, I could say I probably stayed too long. I can't say they dry me out because even when I left, it was after tour. You know, like I was on the dedications. I was on Wayne albums. I, you know, I got plaques for being with young money. So. I just think it was just time. That was part of the transition. That was part of what we talking about. That was part of my transition. That was part of seeing if you could do it on your own or when shit get tight and it's time for you to, you know, pay some bills you might've got behind on if you just gonna use that crutch of calling Wayne or hitting the stunner or something like that. Do you wanna even be the nigga that when you get in a position, you gotta hit another nigga to ask him something? Or do you even wanna be the nigga that's in a position like that? Like, nah, fuck it. Go see what else is out there for you because maybe you've done all you could do here at Young Money. You know, maybe Wayne gave it his all. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to do nothing with you didn't get the chance to put a solo album out because when you bought the first Young Money album with Bedrock and every girl on there, I'm the first person you hear. Uh, Rise of the Empire, like all of the, the Wayne shit we was on, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to take us on tour. He didn't have to throw us on shit. He didn't have to make us who 
we were in that whole young money uh, thing. So yeah, that's why I said it wasn't nothing personal. I just feel it was time. It was time to see what else you can do besides waiting for another nigga to make you a star. He might've did all he could do. He might've gave you the platform and you might've done all you can do with the platform. You know what I'm saying? I always tell everybody, everybody on the team can't be Kobe. You know what I'm saying? Everybody can't be Shaq. Everybody not gonna be Nikki. Everybody not gonna be Drake. Everybody was gonna get the Rack City like Tiger. But we all won. And that's what I walked away with it. Uh, I walked away from with, pardon me. Um, we won. We did what we were supposed to do. <laughs> Fatherhood has changed me dramatically. Um, having kids and just having a, a household that you can come home to, that you know you gotta make sacrifices for, that definitely changed me. You know, being a bachelor, you know, I was living in Miami at the time. I could do whatever I want. I was living a wild life. But, you know, when Journey was born, that just put everything in perspective. I had to like calm down a little bit. I had to start understanding that somebody comes before me you know and that was a big thing and you know with with her brother with anthony like before journey was born i had you know been around anthony for a while so that showed me how to like show equal love you know what i'm saying it's not about if you're not a biological or if you are biological it's about you can't come in the house with one thing for one child you got to come in the house with two things for both you know what i'm saying you got to share the love you got to show them that you there for both of them no matter what. So yeah, dramatically that changed me. Fatherhood definitely changed J Mills for the for the better. You know, it's a lot of times even I think when I say bitch in my rhymes, you know what I'm saying? I think like damn one day my daughter gonna hear this. You know, so you start figuring out different ways to say things. You say chick or lady or female or diva. You know, you can say so many different things. That's another way our fatherhood changed me alone, just thinking about when you're making your music. So yeah, I can say it changed me for the better. Definitely. Battling again came strictly because I wasn't with Young Money no more. Um, I wasn't really producing too much no more at this time. That, that kind of something that came and went, and I was just going back to it sporadically. But if you listen to my music, I always talk slick. I always had that aggression. I always got that uh, with it. And I used to watch the, the battle events that come on pay-per-view and I used to order them and all of that. And I used to be like, damn, I never got to experience that. I never got to experience the pay-per-view event. I never got to experience tickets being sold. I never got to experience being on a stage and getting, you getting oohs and ahs and three, oh, leave them alone. Boo, oh. Like I never got a chance to experience that. A lot of my stuff was on the streets. And I wanted to get back in there. I wanted to, you know, that's what I do. Before I'm a, I'm J Mills, no, no, no. I'm big in my trouble or what? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I had to jump back in there. And I feel like I might've jumped back in there a little, like my first battle back when I battled K-Shine wasn't my best day at the office. Like, but I feel like all of my battles after that, I stepped it up. 
and I got back to where I needed to be at this point. And I'm still gonna keep getting better at that shit because you always learn new tricks, whether you're in a small room, big room. You know, they got the small rooms now, they got the big rooms now, they got the stages. They got all sorts of different sets for you to really like flourish as a battle rapper. And I just want to get back in that shit. Like whether you, whether you younger or you older or you new or you've been around for a while, battle rapping is like any given Sunday. If you don't show up with your A game, you can lose that day. You know what I'm saying? I'm all about that shit, so I love it. I started directing after one of my battles. I'll, matter of fact, that's a lot. I always had the eye for directing, but I would direct videos through other people. So if I'm working with a certain director, I would have an idea of how I want to do everything. As a real Virgo, I would tell them what angles and this and that. But after I battled Enes the second time in 2019, that's when I went and bought a camera. I went and bought a DJI Osmo Pocket because my boy told me it's easy to shoot with. And from there, me and my boy Linux just started shooting videos. I started looking at YouTube and looking at different uh, directors that I would like. I would follow them on YouTube and whenever they post how-to videos and shit like that or what 24 frames is for, what 30 frames is for. Uh, you can shoot slow motion on 50 or 60, depending if you shoot it on 24 or 30 and you slow it down and that's how you make slow motion. And color grading, and LUTs, presets, transitions. Uh, I just got real deep into all of that. And I think the directing probably knocked the producing out the way, but you still produce in a way through directing. But I think making beats kind of got put to the side when I bought the camera in 2018, because that's when I started really doing videos. We probably did over 20 videos at this point in the last three to four years. When the pandemic hit, not only was we doing the podcast, but I started doing baby showers. I started doing graduation videos, and birthday parties, uh, prom parties. I started doing all of these type of things because I was getting so serious into the directing and I liked it so much. It's not even about the money I was making and I was getting paid for this, but it felt good to get paid for something else other than being Jay Mills, the rapper. It felt good to get paid for something else other than a battle. You know what I'm saying? They was paying me for something that I transitioned into outside of being a rapper. And I think that's what made me still have a love for it. Have I ever doubted myself? Yes. I've doubted myself many times. I still do to this day. That's a part of me being kind of indecisive and things like that. But I remember when they was doing Straight Outta Compton, right? Uh, I had just moved to Los Angeles uh, from New Jersey. And I hit the people up. I did the little phone thing, did the little first audition. They was like, oh, we like you, blah, blah, blah. And oh, we're going to want you come back for the second interview. So for the second interview, I was going to go in there with the motherfucking Raiders jacket. I had uh, Dana go get me a wig from Lamert. <laughs> I remember I had to come there. I was seriously about to go in there. And I remember the morning that I was supposed to go. Dana and her family had me uh, talking to people from the lynch mob and all sorts of shit. Like really, I was really trying to get into this character, right? And I remember the morning that I was supposed to go for the second interview. I just didn't go. Remember Dana woke me up. She's like, yo, you got to be there, blah, blah. And I was like, I ain't going. And I remember she was like, well, why you don't want to go? I said, because I'm not going to get it. 
And she was like, well, what makes you think you're not going to get it? They called you back. You got to at least go see. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to get it. I just know I'm not going to get it. And I didn't go. And even though Ice Cube's son ended up being Ice Cube in it, I still feel like I played myself because I doubted myself. I didn't let them tell me, no, I wasn't good enough. I didn't let them tell me, sorry, somebody else beat you out for the role. I beat myself out and I told myself no. And that was the last time I doubted myself to that degree. You might have a little self-doubt here and there. Should I run this light? Should I? That's different. But this was the last time I ever doubted myself on that level of, nah, I ain't gonna get it. It's like, nah, you now at this point in my life, I've been through all these different transitions. You gotta tell me no. You gotta tell me I'm not good enough. You gotta tell me my a product isn't good enough or up to par, or you need to go back and work on this. You gotta tell me that. I'm not gonna tell myself that. I believe in everything I'm doing and I'm gonna stand on that, but I'm not gonna shoot myself down no more. And I think that was definitely one of the biggest times I doubted myself and did that. Am I gonna continue to release music? Mm. Dana always tell me, uh, you're never gonna stop rapping because that's your first love. And I always tell her, being an artist is my first love. You know, when I was going to school for cartoon and fashion and architecture and doing still lifes, and I had to take a portfolio to art and design and take a test because it was a specialized high school. And you had to get accepted. You couldn't just go, you had to get accepted. So. That's the artistry of me. I don't think I'll ever stop releasing music because can't nobody tell me when to release music. Can't nobody tell me my release date. Like I'm an independent artist, I'm signed to potent uh, department. Potent department is my shit. So I release music when I want, how I want. Um, but that's still the artist in me. Um, I tell people all the time, for me being an artist first, that's what made me a a great rapper. That's what made me a great battle rapper. That's what made me a great producer. That's what made me a great director. And I'm gonna show y'all I'm a great director through a lot of these different projects that I'm working on right now. But that's what made me that because I see everything like colors. As an artist, when you draw, you got red, you got yellow, you got blue, you got green, you got black, you got white. You can make it colorful, you can make it bland. And I feel as a rapper, you can do black, white, and gray. You can make it bland. Or you could use the purple, the yellows, the blues, the oranges, and the green when you write your raps. When I was making beats, the hi-hats, the snares, the drums, the kicks, them shits was all colors still. It was the red, the yellow, the blue, the purple, the green, the black, the white, the gray. As a director, my transitions, uh, presets, your LUTs, what frames you shooting on, what angle you shooting on, if you're using tilt lock or FPV, or if you're using follow, do you like autofocus? Do you like the, all of this shit that I'm talking about has nothing to do with rap, but it shows you that I took the time to study that. So rap is so easy. It's like poetry in motion to me. So I don't think I'm ever gonna stop releasing music. Um, I may release music through the projects that I'm putting out, like the documentaries and the miniseries and stuff like that. But I don't really think I'm ever gonna stop releasing music. I think I'm gonna be one of them people that's a little older and talk a bunch of slick shit. I'm gonna be somebody like that because I'm just always gonna be able to talk slick shit. But I don't think I'm ever gonna stop releasing music. I think my fans would be a little upset if I did that.
Hi.